Welcome to Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray that you are blessed by this message from Pastor John Roberts. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. We're back in Ephesians chapter 1. We actually made it to verse 2, part 2. Verse 2, part 2, chapter 1 which um, I'm not going to go back and review. I'm going to read chapter or verse one, but I'm not going to go back and review much. Of course, this is Paul. The book itself testifies that this is Paul. Starts out in, in chapter one, verse one, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, which the good news is that tells us it's written to us. As much as it's written to the Ephesians, this all applies to us. And then verse 2 says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we looked last time at, um, at grace, uh, and I'm just going to review real briefly. Um, it's the Greek word charis, which always translated or, or not translated, but always defined as unmerited favor, which is good, but it's also so much more than that. <laughs> uh, I like the acronym for grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. Um, but even that, it, that, it, it entails much more of um, just the thought of being forgiven of sins which is tremendous. But, but we also have to keep in mind that there was an exchange at the cross. Um, Jesus was a man. He lived a perfect life. He lived a, right, a righteous life. And that righteousness was served up at the cross. And in any covenant, we're going to see here at, at the end of, of verse 2, when it talks about... Um, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, that term, Lord Jesus Christ, Lord and Christ, both refer to the term Jehovah from the Old Testament. Um, so Jesus was, if you go back and you think about Abraham, when Abraham, God came down to Abraham and he said, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And they took all those animals, they split them in half, and I, I know Sunday morning I described some of that when I went to the butcher and I could just see some of the heads where people were turning pale. But it, it, it really is good for us sometimes to get an idea of just how gory and nasty it was to sacrifice an animal. And God intended it to be that way because he wanted us to realize this is what, the, this is what happens because of your sin. But when, when God cut that covenant with Abraham, he knew Abraham could not. Abraham's never going to be able to keep up his end of the covenant. So basically, God just knocked him out. And while he was out, it, it, the Bible describes it as a smoking lamp and a furnace. Basically, it was describing a pre-incarnate Christ, Jesus, who came down and in his glory, he walked through those animals, which is what the covenant partners, if, 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 if you know, any of the two of us were going to make a covenant 
which is a, you know, a blood covenant's a sacred thing. Basically, you're saying, if I break this covenant, what happened to these animals is going to happen to me. I'm putting my life on the line here. We would both walk through that, those animals together. And in some cases, you see that, you know, growing up, it was a big deal for boys. You know, you wanted to be blood brothers. And, and if you were really tough, you'd pull out the knife and, you know, usually you just barely pricked your hand because you weren't big enough, you know, brave enough to, to um, really cut yourself. But um, that was a blood covenant of a type. But it was made between God the Father and God the Son. And Jesus stood in for Abraham. So when it's talking about this grace that we've been given, it's an exchange. It's a covenant exchange. Jesus not only paid the price for our sins, not only that part of grace, but the exchange was his righteousness. The fact that, and not his righteousness as the second person of the Godhead, but his righteousness in regard that he was a human being, which is part of the reason you have to have the incarnation. He was a man who lived a perfectly good, perfectly righteous, no sin, led that life. And when he took our sin, the exchange was his righteousness as a human was exchanged for our sin. So when, when we talk about grace, yeah, it is unmerited favor. It is God's riches at Christ's expense. But it's, it also represents that exchange. Jesus not only forgave our sins, but he gave us his righteousness. It's ours. And in the new birth, he, he literally imparts that to our spirit. He makes our new man brand new, perfect, sinless, just like he was. And, you know, with that comes also the power. And there is power behind grace. Grace has a power not only to impart righteousness to us, but to then live that righteousness out. I was listening and I don't even remember how I got over there, but it was a, a panel discussion. Anyway, they ask a question in this, in this um, panel discussion. If God has imparted his righteousness to us and grace has empowered us to live free of sin, why do Christians sin so much? Well, Alistair Begg actually had this. It, was, it happened to him through him. Because he was trying to answer the question and he started in this long theological discussion. And finally, about halfway through it, he said, you know, I just, I just thought of the answer with saying all of that. Forget everything I just said. He said, basically, the reason Christians sin is you don't know who you are in Christ. You don't have a true revelation of what Jesus has put in you and who you are in him. And when he said that, I thought, that's good. That's, that is... The root, if you really know what your position is, what he has given you, and the power that resides on the inside of you, that's grace. If God has forgiven me, then what right do I have to hold anything against anybody else? I just got to walk in love. And that's hard to do when you're wounded, but it's still there and it's still available. But that's not all we got. We also, we, we got his grace. But we also got his peace because it says grace to you and peace. They're linked. God's grace doesn't just mean 
the forgiveness of sin or the, the even the power of God. It does mean is imparted righteousness, but it, it literally means the word there, the Greek word there means to join. And I, I, I think I said this last time, um, the picture I always get is the picture of the prodigal son coming back to the father. When, when the father, it says, when he saw him a long way off, he ran to him. And when you think of that, the prodigal, the, 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 the father is Father God. And when we decided to come back to him, it's, you know, because we, we use this phrase all the time and it's kind of stupid and arrogant when you think about it. We use this phrase, well, I found God. No, you didn't. Well, you did. But you found God because he was right on your heels for your entire life, packing you on the shoulder, saying, I'm here, I'm here. And finally, you know, after years and years of being pestered, we turn around. It's like, oh, I found you. It's like, well, duh, <laughs> of course you did. But it, it's, it means to join. He has embraced himself. He's joined himself with us, which the root of it is the, the Hebrew word for shalom, the word peace, which I love, and I, I got this from um, Rabbi Kurt Landry. He's a, a Christian pastor, um, Jewish pastor. Uh, he has a, um, oh, I forgot, I lost the term now. It's a, um, he's a believing Jew. Um, but he, according to him, and I've looked it up and it's, I've found other sources to it too, that the root of that word shalom means nothing missing, nothing broken. I like that. When when we're at peace with God, He's given us everything that was missing in our life. He's filled it in. Everything that was broken in our life, He's fixed it. Now, that doesn't mean we feel fixed. I guarantee you, the last couple of days, I didn't feel fixed. I felt broken. But when I finally figured out, hey, I'm not broken. I still work. It still works. And and, and part of it was I just had to get my mind off of me what you know the how get over the the mully grubs of woe is me and realize that it it it's there it's mine i'm not i don't have anything missing in my life and i don't have anything broken in my life now that doesn't mean we don't have scars dear lord you live long you know you live long enough you're going to have scars but we just need to tap in and keep remembering doesn't matter how many scars i've got they're all healed whether it feels like it or not. Now, the, the key here, though, and this is what part of what Paul's saying here in this, the, the whole thought of Ephesians is this gathering together. He gets into it in chapter 2 about this one new man, bringing the Gentiles and the Jews together to form a new man. Uh, we are literally third-day Christians. We're third-day people, uh, meaning that, you know, um, we are... We're a very unique entity. Um, God dealt with, the, in the Old Testament, he dealt with mankind in a lot of different ways. And then finally he settled on Abraham and he brought in his chosen people through Abraham. And he, he revealed himself to that group of people differently than the rest of the world. Although everybody was, could come in and become children of the covenant. All you had to do was become a Jew. But once Jesus went to the cross and ascended, 
the, the, he's not finished dealing with the Jews yet. Because for one thing, God made a lot of unconditional promises. He just said, this is what I'm going to do to you or do for you. And a lot of those promises never been fulfilled. That's why we have to have the millennial reign. God is going to um, fulfill all those promises he made to the children of Israel during the millennial reign. But now he's brought in this church age, which was a complete mystery to the Old Testament people. And he's taken the Jews and the Gentiles and made a, a new man, a new creation. And we are taking the gospel to the world. And, you know, the Jews weren't very good at it because they got caught up in the law. Part of our problem is we need to be careful not to get caught up in that law, same law. But when... when um, when God did this, when he brought us his grace and his peace, he brought it to bring us back to the relationship we had prior to Adam's fall. If you look at um, um, Genesis, um, and I'm not going to go back there, but, but six times during chapter one, or six or seven, I forget which now, God said in the creation stories, he said, it is good. The very last time he said, it is very good. Well, he, he was talking about the creation, the physical creation, but he wasn't just talking about how it looked. He was also talking about how it functioned with Adam and, and, and Eve at, at, at some point. They functioned in unity. They had a job. They were told to tend you know, the, the garden. Now, how they did it, I don't think they really had hoes and rakes. I think they did it more with their words. They used their dominion to keep things arranged. But there was a perfect union there. Now, with the fall, that all got fouled up because they, they lost that dominion. Satan came in, became the god, little g, of this world. And... The, the actual, literally, the ground was cursed because of Adam's sin. And we, have to, we still have to deal with that. That's part of the reason, you know, our bodies come out of the earth. They're atoms that come out of this physical planet. That's why we get old, why they fall apart, why we die. Um, God never intended for mankind to have a body that died. He intended us to be eternal creatures even in our flesh. But because of Adam's sin, we lost that. But we can come back to that dominion in a, in a limited measure in that we have dominion over our own life. We can take dominion over natural circumstances when needed. You know, it's, it's usually at God's direction. Um, Jesus calmed the storm, rebuked the disciples for not calming the storm. He said, you know, where's you guys' faith? Well, they weren't even born again. <laughs> How much more should we be exercising faith when, when you know, things come at us to, from, from nature to try to harm us? But part of the problem that we have is we, the natural world, and this is part of what I was saying Sunday, you see the natural world sliding and I think we've kind of had a window where um, 
the Western world at least, we civilized our behavior through the, especially in the United States, but also in Great Britain and, and to some extent Western Europe. We civilized our behavior because we became a nation of laws. And we, we gave up on survival of the fittest, you know. The rich people always win. It was, we're gonna have a, a, a level playing field. And in doing that, it, we weren't, the, the world wasn't perfect, far from it. There still was discrimination. There was, you know, there was evil because there's still evil in men's hearts. But we tamed it to a degree. We certainly, you know, uh, other than during warfare, and in, in warfare we were, we were worse than the Romans ever were because we had modern weapons. But we, we kind of led this, this life where you could at least get the idea that you can do this on your own. And with philosophers like Nietzsche, came in the 1800s, or 1900s, excuse me. No, he was in the 1800s. With this thought that now that we've got science, we can prove that there is no God. God doesn't exist. God's dead. We killed him. And that has taken root over, especially through the 20th century, and even more so, I think, since we've started the 21st century. I mean, if nothing else, you can look at, at art, I look at some of the the, um, the masters. You look at Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, Raphael, um, all of the great masters from you know um, the 16th, uh, 15th, 16th, 1700s. They did incredible things. I mean, I, especially Michelangelo. I look at. I've seen some of the statues that he carved, and it's like how. I have no concept of how you could do that. I mean, it's just as smooth as glass, and he did it with a hammer and a chisel, and he smoothed it, and it, it's just a perfect image of, 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 of this beautiful you know, man or woman or whoever he's carving. But around the, the end of the 19th century and into the 20th century, we started this movement of modern art to the point where you, I mean, you compare what Michelangelo did with some of his sculptures. The Museum of Modern Art in Los Angeles, when they built that, that museum a few years ago, their showpiece going into the museum is they took a 345 ton piece of rock and set it down in the middle of a little park and said, this is art. It's just a rock. They did nothing to it. Yeah, but it was like, really, this is your art? In fact, it was funny. I, I, I listened to um, um, Prager University, which is Dennis Prager started this, and it's like four to five minute little clips of, of different people on different topics. And there was one by a um, um, professor of art, and he does this exercise because he is not a, th a fan of modern art. He did this exercise where he flashes this picture up on, on, um, on the screen in his classroom, and he's got all of these art students in there, and he says, this is a Jackson Pollard piece. Now, I want you to tell me why this, why this is, you know, or how this touches you and why this is great art. 
And they will just start in and they'll go on about the color references and how it does this and does that. And after, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes, however he wants to let them go, he says, okay, now let me show you what this really is. And then he has a series of pictures where he pans back. And what that actually is is a close-up picture of his painting apron. And it's just paint smudges. It's not a piece of art at all, let alone a Jackson Pollock. And I'd be honest with you, I don't even know who Jackson Pollock is other than I know he is a famous modern artist. But these, these guys, when you tell them this is, this is great art, they'll even take and fig, find something great about an artist's painting apron. It's just paint smudges. It's not even, you know... But that's kind of how the modern era is. They, they've replaced profound with new. Everybody's looking for something new. They have replaced inspiring with different. It's, it's got to be new. It's got to be different. And then they replaced what I would consider beautiful, what God said in Genesis, with it's got to be shocking. And if, if possible, we want it offensive. I mean, you think, uh, and pardon my language here, but I'm just going to use the title of it. This, this lady, this has been 20 years ago, I think, or maybe longer, where she had this art exhibit and she had a, a bottle of urine with an upside down cross crucifix stuck in it. And it was called Piss Christ. And that was her art. And she thought this was, and people just ood not over it. You know, I, I always find that telling that, you know, it wasn't a, a sickle to show for Islam. <laughs> they would have been terrified to do that because somebody would have cut their heads off. But, um, you know, they did one of the, somebody did a, a painting of the Virgin Mary and they used cow dung to make this, this sculpture slash painting. And it's just meant to be shocking and offensive. And that's their def definition of art. And that is, that mirrors where our society is going. It's, you, you look at modern music, especially when you get into rap music and get into hip hop, um, it's just horrible, the lyrics on these things. Plus, it's just, you know, it's just somebody drumming. There's no, there's no melody to it. And I know I'm an old fogey, but it's a sign of the times. It really is. And, but it's also his grace and peace has redeemed us out of this. But it's where our society is going. And it, it's what he wants out of us. But here, and this is the reason I brought all that up. We have to, even though we have his grace and we have his peace, we have to be real careful that we don't step over into legalism because of all the, the, the shock and the disgust. Because to be honest with you, we are at a, at a point where, and you see it really with our, our in the society, you see it a lot with, with the whole deal of homosexuality and transgenderism. You know, I mean, when the president sent out his thing a few, well, it's been six, eight, ten months ago, where uh, they said that schools are going to have to, you have to allow kids to go to whatever bathroom they feel like they're, you know, they are that day. Um, I was like, I'm sorry, but 
if my, my you know, I look at my granddaughter, well, she's just in second grade, so it probably wouldn't matter if they went to the bathroom together. They're second graders. But when she gets to high school, I don't want her going to a locker room and some guy walks in because that day he decides, well, I'm a girl. I mean, it, it is so crazy. If, if an anorexic, you know, if, if an anorexic 75 pounds, their normal height, they look in a the mirror, they're going to see fat. That's, anore that's how anorexia works. Well, psychiatrists and psychologists don't have a problem of saying that is a mental disorder. We need to treat that. But you can have a man stand up and look in a mirror and say, I know physically I got all the equipment of a man, but I'm a girl. And it's, well, that's just their choice. No, it's as, it's as, as much of a mental disorder as an anorexic looking at their body and saying, I don't accept that I'm dying of, of, of hunger. I'm fat. When you look at yourself in the mirror, if you're a woman and you think you're a man, that's a problem. If you're a man and you think you're a woman, that's a problem. Well, it's, it's not so much, it's not just a problem with society. It's a problem with sin. That's the root of all of that, that deception. But the real problem that we're getting into as a society is the people that propose this no longer just want their behavior decriminalized. And, and let's face it, you go to Romans chapter 1, verse 26 through 32, and we're going to read through these in a minute. There's a lot of things listed there that are, are clearly, this, this is Paul's list. This is, this is these are examples of a depraved mind. And one of them is homosexuality. The modern LGBTQ movement doesn't just want homosexuality decriminalized, which I'll be honest with you, it may shock some people. I don't know that our government ought to be in the, in the, the, in the position of criminalizing behavior. I, I just, maybe I'm deceived, but I just, I would rather not go there. But they don't want it, just don't criminalize it and accept me. What they want us to do now is take another step where you have to approve this and you cannot preach against it and say this is sin. And if I come to your church, you have to accept me. And if I want to get married, you know, to my boyfriend or my girlfriend, and I'm a guy marrying my boyfriend or I'm a girl marrying my girlfriend, you have to perform the wedding. Well, that's a bridge too far. It's one thing to not want to throw people in jail because they're practicing homosexuals. I think that's foolish. I don't know that that's really a place I want my society to be. But don't force me to give up my beliefs. But that's where we're heading, and we're heading there because of that's just how the devil works and how, how the sin nature in us works to the point where there are entire Christian denominations now that they have just bought into it. Homosexuality, there was a big church in Tennessee, Nashville, and it was an evangelical church. And the pastor just got up one morning or one Sunday morning and said, look, I've been praying about this and the Bible's just wrong. I am not going to preach against homosexuality anymore. 
And if you're a homosexual and you want to be married, I will marry you. Well, unfortunately, but I guess fortunately in the sense that some of the people still had their, their brains intact, it, it split. I mean, this was a church of several thousand, and most of the people just walked out in mass. But there was a core that stayed because, you know, if, if you don't believe that, then you're a bigot, you're a homophobe. Well, I'm not, but I also recognize that sin is sin. Now, as Christians, this is where we need to be careful. If you go to Romans 126, it says that, that for this reason, and, and I'm not going to go back and look at the reason right now, God gave them up to vile passions. Basically, that means degrading. It, 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 it's the kind of the picture I see of that vile is it's like money that's been inflated to no value. You know, if you look at, at um, what money was worth at the early, you know, 100 years ago, if you were a millionaire, well, I don't know that there were any billionaires in the world, but there weren't very many millionaires. Well, it's not hard to be a millionaire. I know, you know, I know people in my life that are millionaires. Um, but to be, have that equal wealth of a millionaire in the early 1900s, you got to be a billionaire today because our money has been inflated. Well, that's what this is. This is the value. Our passions, the passions of these people are going down. They're not being elevated. They're going down. It says this is the reason God, or these are the vile passions that God gave them up to. For even their women exchange the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. Clearly talking about homosexual behavior. Verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. That's the key right there. They forgot about God. It's not just about how I feel and what my desires are. It's about, you know, I, I've used the verse several times in the last few weeks. We were bought with a price. We are not our own. I, I don't have the luxury of saying, this is what I believe. This is my opinion. I mean, I do that. But I better be consulting God and doing my best to figure out what his opinion, what his belief is, and getting myself lined up with that. But because they didn't retain God in their knowledge, it says God gave them over to a debased mind. Literally means an unacceptable mind. To do those things which are not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness. That reminds me of... of the verse in Peter, it says, look, if you, if you try to keep the law, if you violate even the smallest bit of the law, you're guilty of all of it. And that's kind of what Paul is doing here. Because if we look at this, what does he deal with? He's already dealt with, with um, homosexuality. He deals with sexual immorality. The Greek word there is pornea. It includes pornography, which is a huge problem in the church. Um, wickedness, which the Greek word there means basically just wanting to hurt people. Think of, you know, 30 years ago going postal or just because of the stress of your job, the stress of life. You just go out and start shooting people. I think now, you know, 
the the Islamic uh, killers. You just you know you that's how you're going to honor Allah or honor Allah as you go shoot up a bunch of people. But notice right along with this covetousness. I've got a family member that I swear every time we have we run into him and talk to him, all I hear is about about the man. The man this, the man that. And, I, and sometimes I just keep my mouth shut because they're family and I love them and I'm not going to fight with them. But I, sometimes I want to say, well, who's the man? Who is this man that's trying to keep you down? But it's, it, it comes right down to it. They're covetous. They, they worked hard and they have, a, they have a really good retirement. A lot of, you know, they're, they're not hurting for things. But they're jealous of people that, that, are really successful, have big houses and big cars. Well, that's covetousness. Right in the same list with homosexuality. Maliciousness, full of envy, there again. How many times has somebody driven a brand new car in on the parking lot and you look at it and it's like, man, I can't afford that. I want that. That's envy. Same sin as Immorality, pornography, homosexuality, murder. <laughs> I mean, wow. But then right next to it, strife. This is, this is just stirring up stuff. And we all know people. They just love to stir the pot. Deceit. Evil boasters. Those are, that's the people you, you know that, you know, you got to dress the part. They always make out that they're somehow they're better than everybody else or their their stuff's better than somebody else's stuff. And really, they don't have much of anything. They're just, you know, as, as they say in Texas, they're all hat, no cattle. Inventors of evil things that that really does describe our modern age. <laughs> People look for things to do that are just new, you know, disobedient to parents. Wow. I mean, that's in the same list as murder. Undiscerning. It just means you don't, um, you just don't know what God's doing. Untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving. Once you're on my bad side, I underline your name in ink and it ain't changing. That's unforgiving. We can't do that. God puts that alongside murder, sexual immorality, homosexuality. To him, it's just as bad unmerciful and this is the key right here who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death not only do the same but also approve of those who practice them that is a sign of our times and it's what we have to fight first of all in our own lives because let's face it homosexuality never been a problem for me it's just Gives me the heebie-jeebies even to think about it. Strife? Yes. Uh, disobedient to parents? Oh, my Lord. Forgive me, Lord. <laughs> yes. Whispers? There have been times I've gossiped about people. That's what that is. Envious? Covetousness? Yeah, sometimes. You know, when you've worked a lot and, you know, you're driving a 15-year-old car that's got rust all over it and you see somebody that they just not worth much, 
and they got a brand new car. Of course, you don't know their situation, but it's like, man, I deserve that. Well, that's covetousness. But the, the big difference here is if you're a Christian, normally we don't approve those who practice them. We are, we are, it's not that we have to walk those things out perfectly, but we have to put an effort to make ourselves better, to tap into that grace and peace and realize God not only gave us his righteousness, he did forgive our sins, he's joined us with him, and we have the power to resist all of this stuff, but we also have an obligation to preach the gospel. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean in, being in people's face. We do have to stand up and say, I don't, want, I'm not, I don't necessarily want to judge you, but this is what the Bible says. There is a better way to live. And, and it's, we can't help people that are lost or even people that are saved, but they're still caught up and, and bound by some of these. Everybody or most people recognize the big sins, smoking, drinking, carousing, doing all that stuff. But very few people, when they've got a juicy piece of gossip, recognize go gossip in the same category as murder. And yet God puts it in the same category as murder. Because you're actually killing that person's life. You're, you're, you're talking about them when they're just as forgiven as you are. Even if they're not saved, they may not have tapped into God's forgiveness, but he still forgave their sins. Now that doesn't mean they're not going to you know, that they're, I'm not a universalist. You have to accept God's grace. But we need to be on the lookout to restrict those things in our lives because James said it. Whoever keeps the whole law, but you do it, you violate one small thing, you're guilty of it all. And then let me just close with this and we'll, we'll pick some of this up next week. At the very end of that verse, he says, this grace and peace is from our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Right there, he links the Father and the Son as the same. This is one of the clearest indications from the Bible that Jesus is God incarnate. He is co-equal with God because the grace and the peace come from both of them, not just one of them. We're, but we're his children by adoption. And I really do believe because Paul was a Roman citizen, he knew the laws of Rome intimately. He, I mean, when he got in trouble, he appealed to Caesar, uh, which was, you did that only as a last resort because if Caesar ruled in the wrong way, you're dead. <laughs> But I'm, I, th I think Paul understood the, the, the Roman law of adoption. And the Roman law of adoption was they normally adopted adults. They didn't adopt children. Rarely ever would they adopt a child. And they only adopted adults, and they almost always was a male, very occasionally female, but almost always a male. But they did it because they either had a falling out with the son or... They didn't have a son and they needed their name passed on. So they would adopt someone. But the law was very clear. If you adopted someone, they were entitled to all the rights of a natural son. 
and even more, you could disavow your natural son. You could say he's a scoundrel. He's not mine. And he's cut off. You adopt a son, you cannot cut him off. He is your son for the rest of his life. You have no choice. You've, it's, an, it's a binding for all time thing. That's exactly what God did for us. He adopted us. And when, when it talks about that, that, you know, he's given this to us, he's our father, but he's our father by adoption. But that doesn't mean that we're second rate. I remember when one of my students one time, I was talking about Ryan and Nadine, or not Ryan, Ryan and Tiffany. And um, I was talking about them being my kids. And one of the little girls in the class said, yeah, but didn't you adopt them? And I had to stop and think, well, yeah, I did. Because in my mind, I didn't think about adopting them. I just, they're my kids. They've always been my kids. And it wasn't, it, it, if I had natural children, it wouldn't be any different. They're just as much my kids, whether I was the sperm donor or not, they're still my kids because of, of my relationship with them. That's how God looks at us. It's, we're, we're not, it's not a natural thing, it's a supernatural thing. And he's adopted us and just like I think, I believe with just like the Romans, it's like, I'm not looking to get out of this relationship. He's not, I'm not either. I mean, it's like somebody said, you know, do you believe in once saved, always saved as well? I don't really think about it because I'm not looking to get out. Thank you so much for joining us. If this message has blessed you today, we invite you to visit us in person at Faith Community Church or online at FCCIndianapolis.com.